Good morning. Good morning. It is good to see you all. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. If you're one of our guests, we want you to know that you are most welcome. We're glad that you're with us. And we are going to begin our time of worship in just a couple of minutes. I have uh, two quick announcements that I would like to give to you. The first one is if you have kids in the 5 to 11 range, um, our kids camp for this summer is already on the schedule um, and signups are open. And you can sign up through the church site, uh, the church website, ConroeBible.org, or you can sign up through Church Center. Um, either one of those will get you to the right place. Um, and one of the things that the children's ministry will need for kids camp are adult volunteers and student volunteers. And so today, right after the service, Adam is having a, a, a volunteer info meeting. So if that is something you think you might be interested in helping out with, please hang around after the service. I think they're going to meet in this classroom just outside the sanctuary over here. Um, and if you are interested in going and somehow can't find this classroom right out here, I'll be out there. So look for me and I'll point you in the right direction. Okay, let's stand together and we'll begin our time of worship.
grace run out if I let you down cause all I know is how to run I am a sinner if it's not one it's another Caught up in words Tangled in lies You are a savior And you take brokenness aside And make it beautiful
Father, we praise you this morning. We thank you because of the love and grace that we find in our lives. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You guys can have a seat, and if you're one of our kiddos, K-5, through you can be dismissed to Sunshine Kids Club. Jesus brings clarity to love and to life. He points us to the proper priorities when we are filled with ignorance or indecision or confusion. He provides a proper perspective when we need to know how to make our decisions and how to move forward. And he also offers the proper pathway for entrance into the kingdom of God. Jesus offers clarity for love and for life. And clarity as I am using it today is the quality or condition of being clear or easy to understand. So we're in this sermon series called Hello, My Name is Jesus. And we are seeking to understand Jesus in greater ways than a lot of the ways that we have just assumed or routinely held to because we want to love him more deeply and follow him more completely. So we're going to look at Jesus today as he provides clarity. Being clear or easy to understand. So easy to follow instructions on an assembly of something is an example of clarity. Or how about that cool mountain air at the top of a mountain on a clear day? It's an example of clarity. Or if you're a student at Sam Houston taking an English class from Nathan Mahart, you are learning to write with clarity so that you are understood. I want to use a, a famous optical illusion to help us uh, think about clarity, and, and we'll come back to it again later. So I'm going to put a picture up here and, and ask you if you see the old woman or the younger woman, it, it, because they're both present. Do you see a, a younger woman with a kind of a demurring presence, a petite nose, and fashionably dressed as if she's going to an afternoon tea? Or do you see an, an older woman that's a little sad and downcast? You might even want to help her across the street. They're both present. Well, let's look at them. If you look for the younger woman, her petite nose is on the far side of her face. She's turned away from us. She's looking away, and you see her jawline, and then there's a simple necklace across her neck. Perhaps that image has come into focus, and if so, then you have clarity on the younger woman. But if we start with the necklace on her neck, that's actually the mouth of the older woman. And the jawline becomes the nose, and then her eye to the left of the nose is properly set. And if that image came into focus for you, you now have clarity on the older woman. When you know what to look for, it is easy to find clarity in life. And so today we're going to turn to Mark chapter 12. 
And we're going to look at a passage where there's an interaction between Jesus and a scribe, a teacher of the law, a theologian, a, a judge, an ethicist. And in this conversation, Jesus gives us great clarity. He helps us know what to look for in love and in life. We're going to look at Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. And the first thing we're going to see is that Jesus brings clarity to our primary priorities. This is verses 28 to 31. And this is where he's going to declare what we commonly refer to as the two greatest commandments. We're filled with all kinds of questions in, in terms of what is important in the spiritual life. I mean, this Bible is a big book, right? with 66 books. And so how can we know all of it? And if we can't know all of it, then what's really important about it? We want to be good followers of Jesus. And so we want to know what does he really desire of us? We want to be people that do God's will. And so we want to know what that will is. Well, in this passage, Jesus is going to be very clear as he's going to boil it down to us, for us into a couple of different phrases. The context here is it's Passion Week. It's actually Tuesday of Passion Week, and Jesus has been answering questions of his opponents. Now, these aren't just opponents. These are people who blatantly are discussing ways to trap him, ways to engage him in an argument so that they can prove that he doesn't know Scripture, so that they can prove that he's a false Messiah, so that they can destroy him. And ultimately, they'd like to kill him. Those words are talked about throughout the Gospel of Mark. But here, beginning in chapter 11, all the way through chapter 27 of, of, uh, ch verse 27 of chapter 12, we see Jesus engaging with Pharisees and the chief priests of the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of Israel at that time. And the Herodians, the political people who would have nothing to do with the Pharisees normally, except now they have a common enemy and they want to do, do away with Jesus. And then the Sadducees have an argument with Jesus. And finally, a scribe comes up to him. It's interesting that all of them are seeking to discredit Jesus by asking biblical theological questions, and Jesus each time comes back with a biblical answer. So they haven't been able to discredit him because he's using Scripture to answer their questions, trying to trap him, and he obviously knows more than, he, than they do. He's speaking with great authority when it comes to God's Word. And so we read at the end of this little paragraph in verse 34 that they didn't venture to ask him any more questions. They were done because he had put, shut all of them down. Now, before they ask, they reach that point of asking no more questions, a scribe comes up to him. And it's obvious from the, the passage that this scribe, who's, a, again, a teacher of the law, a student of God's word, admires Jesus that he appreciates the way he is answered. And so he's got a sincere question for him. And we see that in verse 28, or we see his approach. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing. This is Jesus and the Sadducees debating. 
And recognizing that he had answered them well, that is, Jesus had answered the Sadducees, the scribe asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? What is foremost? What is the most important? What, what is the greatest commandment? What's the fundamental premise of the law upon which all the individual commands of Scripture depend? That's what he wants to know. Boil it down for us, Jesus. Let us know what is going on with the Old Testament, because there's a lot going on, and we want you to boil it down for us. This question was a natural question of the day. This is one of the living issues of Jewish thought and discussion at that time among the rabbis. So like you and I might discuss our favorite queso or in a more weightier level, you know, who's the goat of all time in basketball or football or baseball. This was the key issue among the rabbis. And, and the reason was, just as I said earlier, this is a big book, right? Well, in the law, they had counted up 613 commands. 365 were stated negatively, don't do this. 248 stated positively, do this. Now, 613 commands is a lot for anyone to keep track of. It's a lot for anyone to try and obey all the time, and especially with a good attitude and the right heart. And so the rabbis would discuss among themselves, what are the weightier issues of the law? What do we really need to emphasize with our people? What is most important here? So you can see where the scribe is coming from. He's got a very sincere question, and he's no longer part of this group trying to trap and destroy. He really wants to know because he's heard Jesus of Nazareth preaching and teaching with great authority. Jesus answered this in verse 29. The foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, that first part of Jesus' answer is well known to everybody, right? This is the creed of Israel. They would start off every synagogue service with that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. A devout Israelite, a devout Jew, would say this every morning and every evening. And if they were really devout, when they prayed, they would put on these phylacteries, these little boxes that would hold this passage inside the box. They would post this on their door frames to be constantly reminded that there was one God, he rules the universe, and he cares about them. It's also a comment on monotheism, that there is one God in an age where every other religion had many, many gods. Anything you could think of, there was a God for it. And not only was there a God for it, but there were discussions and thoughts given to how can we appease that God? So if we need more rain, how do we appease the rain God? How do we make him or her happy so that we can get rain for our crops. You can see that just every area of life. That's how they acted. Jesus is saying there's one God. This is the one true God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the one to whom the Israelites understand and relate to. Well, Jesus gives his answer. He, he talks about the character of God. He talks about the personal nature of God. He's our Lord, our God. 
And he uses that to launch into the two greatest commandments because they are both relationally oriented. And in verse 29, this is what he says. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.5, the Shema, the hero Israel. That was Deuteronomy 6.4. So he's moved right on to another verse in the law, another passage. And he says, this is the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God. We can paraphrase it, love God. That's simple to remember, right? Love God. Hard to do, but simple to remember. This is foremost. God died, Jesus died for our entire person, and he is calling us to give our entire person back to him. How do we know that? Because he says, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. In each area, we are to give everything we have back to him. That's what worship is, right? Responding to all that God is with all that we are. And that's our calling. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. In fact, he's commanding us to do here. Our love for God becomes a response to God's love for us. If you want to start down that path of loving God, as difficult as it may be, because of whatever voices are in your head or whatever hardships you have experienced, just begin to think and meditate on all the goodness of God that you've seen since the beginning of time, creation. You've seen his goodness to the Israelites, bringing them out of Israel, taking them through the Red Sea. You've seen his goodness in creating you in his image. You've seen his goodness in handcrafting you in the womb, in the incarnation, in, in, in the redemption, in your salvation. There are so many ways that we can stop and meditate and reflect on God's goodness in our lives begins to help us recall and experience and understand his love for us. And it is our response to him and his love for us when we love him. Now, love cannot be tithed like money. But many of us try to parcel out our love, right? We've got to think about that because these words are pretty strong. All, 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 all. Heart, soul, mind, strength. We're to love God with everything we have. We give God a portion of this day on Sundays if we're not too busy with our own pursuits. If we're really disciplined, we give him a portion of our day in prayer, or we inspect his word to see what he has to say for us, to lift us up and encourage us. We gather with others occasionally. We pray before a meal or bedtime or a variety of ways. But quite often over the course of a week, that becomes, begins to dissipate, begins to disappear from our lives, goes by the wayside. We attempt to give God 5% of our day, 10% of our day. And I'm not saying that we have to give him activities, but he wants our heart focused on him. He wants us loving him as we go through everything he has called us to do. The actions of parenting, the actions of going to work, going to school. All of these are God, God is calling us to do 
with a love for him. Too often we're distracted and fatigued by all that we are doing to really express love for him in the midst of all of that. And so we've got to pause and think and evaluate. Do we really love God? And how can we express that wholeheartedly? Well, Jesus doesn't stop with one command. He's asked, what is the foremost? He's going to give a second relational command. And because he puts these together, we realize that they are tightly related. The grammar is bad here. Give me the foremost commandment. And the foremost is. And then he says, the second is this in verse 31. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so again, this command could be summarized in two words, love people. We are to love God. We are to love people. The concepts of loving God and loving people were voiced by the rabbis in different ways over the centuries, especially as they tried to find out what are the weightier matters of the law. But this is the first time that a rabbi had ever put these two specific passages together. So earlier it was Deuteronomy 6, 5, love your neighbor as yourself is Leviticus 19, 18. So it's the first time that a rabbi has put these two together. Jesus is doing that. And not only is he doing that here, but he's also instilling new meaning in it. In the original context in Leviticus, that command was given to the Jews to love the Jews. The Jews were their neighbors. They were the ones they loved or full proselytes. Jesus is now saying love anybody that you're around. They are your neighbor. In fact, when this passage is given in Luke chapter 10, we realize that it opens up the parable of the Good Samaritan, where Jesus takes the neighbor not only to mean anyone that you are around, but even your enemy, even your arch enemy, the Samaritans. Jesus has brought new meaning to this command. And he has related it to loving God. When we love God and experience his love, then that flows through us and we are able to love others in the same way that God loves others and in the same way that God loves us. We're challenged here to express our love to everyone. That's God's way of operating. And he wants us to express our love within our sphere of influence within our family, our extended family, our colleagues at work, our friends at school, even with those who annoy us, and finding a way to love those who we consider enemies. Because that's the command of God. It's not a suggestion. He's very clear about it. Love God, love people. Jesus has brought clarity to the foremost commandment. You and I may not be clear on all the parts of scripture that there are. But we can be clear on what the two greatest commandments are, right? Love God and love people. Because Jesus has brought great clarity to what love means and how we should live our lives in that regard. The second thing we're going to see in verses 32 and 33 is this, that Jesus brings clarity to our primary perspective. Jesus makes sure that we know how to perceive life. He wants us to know that these are theological cores by which we can use as a grid to make decisions, by which uh, a lens through which we can look at those around us and at life and decide what is important as we go through our daily 
routines and daily schedules. We can simply ask, how does this express love for God and for people? The scribe here is going to agree with Jesus, and it's interesting in the Gospel of Mark, all the times that scribes and Pharisees and everyone else I mentioned have tried to trap him, tried to find ways to destroy him or kill him. This is the one time that a scribe, a religious leader, one in authority, agrees with Jesus. And it's right here in verse 32. And he's the only questioner in the Gospel of Mark that does that. And this is what we read in verse 32. The scribe said to Jesus, Right, teacher, you have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. So he goes back to the Shema, and he starts there. He recognizes that Jesus has truly stated that there is one Lord, one God, and that he is the God of Israel. God's personal nature and his desire for relationship is obvious even in what they would state every day. And in their lives, they would be reminded that he was their God, that he was personal, that he desired this type of relationship with them. So the scribe goes on, and now he's going to repeat the commands, and then he's going to add his own biblical commentary. And we see that in verse 33. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. He obviously views love as more important than offerings and sacrifices. He's being biblical there. First Samuel 15, Samuel said that to King Saul. Hosea chapter 6, Hosea mentioned that, that his loyalty is better than offerings and sacrifice. Why is that? Because relationship is more important than ritual. Jesus wants us to give us his heart. Give us our hearts. Give him our hearts. Jesus wants us to love him, no matter what we're doing. And because of that, we've got to become a people who don't just check off what we do for God, whether it's service or reading the Bible or prayer, but we use this as an expression of love. We use this as an opportunity to uh, experience God's love. And by his grace, he allows us to connect with him that way. The scribe has added his own biblical character uh, commentary and as we consider the passage as that it can be a grid for us uh, i want us to return to the illustration at the introduction of the woman and this time we're going to put a picture up here with her in the middle that's the, the picture that you saw earlier and then pictures on either side and when this was used originally in the classroom, in the college classroom the professor would hand out the picture on the left which represents the younger woman, more or less, to half of the class. And he would hand out the picture on the right, representing the older woman, to the other half of the class. He would ask him to focus on it for 10 or 15 seconds, and then he would put this picture on the screen in the middle and ask them what they saw. Well, you can guess what they saw, right? The one that had been focusing on the left naturally saw the younger woman, and the one that had been focusing on the right, more often than not, saw the older woman. 
their perspective had been changed because of what they had been immersed in and what they had been focused on. And I think that's a great illustration for us to understand how we approach life. We are so immersed in this world and so immersed in all the things that we've got going on, good and bad, that we often have a perspective on life that doesn't start with love God and love people. So the college professor would use this to start the discussion on shifting your paradigms, understanding different perspectives so that people could see both the young woman and the older woman. It demonstrates how our point of view powerfully impacts what we see when we look out. Well, Jesus has given us these two commandments to help us understand proper priorities. What is our primary priority? It's to love God and to love people. But he's also given it to us to give us a primary perspective so that we look through the lens of loving God and loving people. So that that's where we start. And then we begin to see people differently. We begin to love God. We begin to respond to him differently. If these commands are embedded in us, we begin to see life from God's perspective and they govern our lives. Our issue is that we are so immersed in the world and this world system is orchestrated by Satan and our fleshly desires are quick to latch on and it's easy just to become self-centered. So there are some implications for us using again the heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are to love God with all our hearts and here's one implication. Too often we're giving to loving the things of this world John makes that clear in 1 John 2. Our affections are shaped by Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and whatever social media you want to mention, or Amazon. And those things end up giving us a lens for the world. I can get what I want now. I can be a little more self-centered is ultimately the bottom line on those when we become wrapped up in them and consider the amount of time that we give to them. We're to love God with all our soul. Too often our conscience, conscious thought life is conformed to the world around us. And so we develop a transactional view of love. If you do something to love me, then I will love you. God, if you take care of my circumstances, I will love you. If you help me out of this bind, I will love you. If you slow down my life and simplify it, I will love you. We're to love God with all our soul. We're to love God with all our mind. But again, because we're not immersed in the word of God, we're not immersed in loving God and loving people often enough, we're typically renewed by the values of this world. And so we seek influence, sometimes money, sometimes success, sometimes just comfort and the values of the world become our point of view, and that's how we view things, and that's where we make our decisions. And we wonder why we have such inner conflict. We're also to love God with all our strength. We spend so much time, energy, and strength on what pleases us or what has to be done without evaluating it that we often don't have strength to serve and love God. I can identify with those implications and perhaps you can as well. And I can take it further when I think about loving God wholeheartedly 
in different degrees. As I've reflected on how I followed Jesus over the last few months, I, I've noticed issues in following God and loving him and, and loving people. And I've had to make some changes, especially in attitudes and, and what I feed my mind. I've had to add a few boundaries. I noticed, for instance, that political discussions tend to make me pretty angry <laughs> and bitter <laughs> and affect my attitudes. And so I've had to reduce my time on Facebook. I've had to turn my phone off occasionally. <laughs> No worries. <laughs> so I've had to reduce time on Facebook because that was obviously influencing me and even conversations with people. I have to be careful because I'm letting that change my attitude. And you can see how when it overwhelms me, then that becomes my attitude toward people and even toward God. That's one area. Uh, a second area is so I moved to Instagram, right? And, and I've, I've shared some of those things with you. And I've noticed there that even there I have to have boundaries uh, because it's easy to move into areas of, of sexual lust or just plain covetousness uh, of looking at what people have and what they get to do while I sit in my office. And so it's an area where I've had to reduce that and I've had to be intentional about talking to God even when I go to things like that. Now, this may seem really silly and especially for someone that spends hours and hours on it, but I don't. And then streaming, uh, streaming shows. I, I don't know what it is about all the original shows, but man, if they cannot get three or four obscenities in one sentence, then they're just not happy. And, and I realized that's the way of the world. But I also realized over time as I was watching some sh shows I was getting attracted to, that it was just affecting my brain. That, that these obscenities were just sitting there and dwelling there and then popping up at different times in the day. That was not for me. And so I've had to reduce boundaries. I want to be very careful here because you know that we don't dwell in legalism. I want to let you know how I'm trying to respond to God out of love for him and allowing him to shape me more. And, and your life is going to be different, and it's going to be in different ways, but all of us have to respond to him in some form or, or some activity or some cutting back or some pouring forth in ways that we express our love to him. He gives us a perspective through two commands, love God and love him. And so maybe my percentage is definitely not 100% of, of loving God wholeheartedly. Maybe it's moving up 5% this year. But that's my trajectory, trying to move forward as I find ways to express love to God and respond to his leading in those areas. Love is our inner commitment to God, which shows up in our attitudes, our actions, our words and our relationships. We've got to let Jesus bring clarity to our perspective on daily living. And we do that by applying these two great commands. The next thing we see in the final verse is the clarity that Jesus brings to the right pathway to his kingdom. Jesus understands the condition of this man's heart. He understands where he is at. And he is approaching him. He wants to see this man in heaven with him for all eternity. He doesn't want him to perish. And so notice Jesus' statement about the spiritual state, uh, standing of this man. He's going to say, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He's close, 
but he's not part of the kingdom. He needs to possess an allegiance to Christ that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus has made it clear that a love ethic is all important. But love doesn't get you into the kingdom. Only faith in Jesus does. So this is what he says in verse 34. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, Jesus said to the scribe, you are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. You are not far from the kingdom of God. These words are meant as a warning to the man. You understand the law. You teach the law. You help others obey the law. You understand that these are the greatest commandments. And perhaps you have come up with them on your own. You are not far from the kingdom. To be, an inch, be within an inch of the entrance to the kingdom is still not to be in the kingdom. And Jesus is doing that as a warning to let him know that he is not going to have his sins forgiven, that there will be a day of final judgment. But it is also an encouragement to this man. It's an encouragement for him to trust Jesus, to follow Jesus, to answer Jesus' call. How do we know that? Well, we don't have the gospel given right here, right? But they're an encouragement to the man because he has a kind view of Jesus, an openness to Jesus. He has a spiritual understanding which allows him to understand when Jesus says the years are the two greatest commands. But here's why I believe that, because if he continues that openness to Jesus, he's going to continue moving toward Jesus. And what is the message of Jesus? This is the message of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. It's the first thing he says in chapter 1. Jesus was saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the Gospel. If this man continued to hang out with Jesus, continued his openness and his spiritual understanding, the Holy Spirit would convict him of his need for a savior. He would, the entrance to the kingdom would become clearer and clearer. Jesus says, you are not far, but you are not there. And that may be true of someone here today, that you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that you're a very good person, just like this scribe. But your sins are not forgiven. You may not be far from the kingdom because of the people you hang out with, the things that you do, the service activities. But unless you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you will die and spend an eternity away from God in a place called hell. And so the gospel is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the son of God who died on the cross for your sins in your place. He was buried and he rose again. And he rose victorious over sin and death, and he offers the forgiveness of sins and the free gift of eternal life to all who trust him, believing that he did that as a sinless substitute in our place. And so I challenge you today to do that if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You may be not far from the kingdom, but you are not in the kingdom unless you have placed your faith in Christ. And then as we look at our own lives. We don't want to be people that let others perish. I've done two funeral services in the last six weeks, and one of the things that I always include in these celebrations of life, as we remember a life and honor 
it as we honor Christ for the life he gave and for the eternal life he provides. We always give the gospel. I don't know who might be not far from the kingdom. I don't know where they are at spiritually. But I do know it's a natural time to think about mortality and about where we're going to spend eternity and whether heaven is on the agenda or not. And so I proclaim the simplicity of the gospel for all to trust Jesus as Savior. We can do that in all of our relationships. And I fully believe that if you express that love to God and your desire to share the gospel, whether it's in a convenience store with a clerk or chasing your dog in the neighborhood with your neighbors, there are opportunities to continually plant seeds of the gospel. Let God do the work. Convict them of their need of a Savior and offer them the grace of the gospel. But we can make it clear for them. We're never told the choice of the young scribe, but I do believe that if he stayed open to Jesus and his message, that he would eventually embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus brings clarity to love and to life. This message speaks to not yet followers of Christ. It speaks to us as followers of Jesus Christ. And we are told to love God to learn to express our love for him wholeheartedly in more and more ways that becomes central to our lives. And as we do, as we respond to his love, we begin to recognize his love in greater ways. And his love begins to flow out so that we can love all of those around us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our God. You are the one true God. And we thank you, Lord, that you have... Uh, gone to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. We thank you for giving us such clarity and understanding of what we need to do in this life. We need to love you and love people. We thank you, Lord, that you empower us to do that, that by your grace, we are able to look at others through the lens of love and grace. And we thank you, Lord, that you have made the gospel clear to us. And we ask for the grace to, to love you more, to pursue you in, in the same ways that you pursue us every day. And we give you thanks in Christ's name. Amen.
You guys can have a seat. I've got Michael and Cindy Benefield with me, and they are uh, a couple that is uh, living out in a new way now, or getting ready to anyway, uh, how to love your neighbor. And uh, so if you guys, and Michael, you may recall, has been teaching in the, AB, in the Bree and ABF, and uh, Cindy's former worship team member, many, many ministries over the years. Anyway, uh, they are going to uh, be heading out nearby. And so I'm going to let you guys tell us what you're doing and uh, where it will be. Thanks, Dave. Uh, so Cindy and I uh, have, since the Lord's uh, calling, uh, we are going to um, join an organization called Boys and Girls Country in Hockley, Texas. Many of you may be uh, familiar with them, but we will be teaching parents there. Uh, we will be assigned a group of eight boys, and uh, we will live life with them uh, day in and day out. Um, and the exciting thing for us uh, is the Christian focus uh, with Boys and Girls girls country. We really get the opportunity to disciple them, uh, to um, uh, join with them in worship through the local church, um, and a variety of, of other ways. So we're very excited about that opportunity. Is there something you want to add? No. Okay. Okay. I was going to ask you how it came about, but you said that you've sensed God's calling in this. What are uh, some of your concerns? Does anything give you a, a sense of anxiety about going into this uh, wild new wonder here? Well, I'll speak for myself on this one. Uh, <laughs> I don't have children, and so uh, we're jumping in the proverbial deep end of the, of the pool. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be a lifestyle change. So uh, we certainly sense the Lord's leading in this, but uh, there are going to be some changes and some uh, adventures along the way. So, uh, yeah, we would covet your prayers as far as the adjustments and the things that are necessary for us to, to love these boys well. All right, still no takers. You should have brought your flute up here. No. <laughs> and uh, so what excites you? What, what, what excites you about this new challenge? Well, it's all very exciting. Um, I've raised two girls, so the adventures of raising boys. Um, I love nature and I love the outdoors, so I really am excited to share God's glory in nature with these young men who have probably been raised in a very urban environment. Okay. So that's very exciting to me. And then to see uh, children that may have come from broken homes okay. realize that, just like the song says, you know, from broken to beautiful that these young men are beautiful in the eyes of the Lord and they have worth. And that is so exciting to me to be able to pour into them that. That's great, I like that. Michael, did you want to add to that? Yeah, I, I do. I, I just so the average age statistically, or the average time that a young person spends at Boys and Girls Country is is about four years of their life. Okay. So we will be living with many of these young men for a full four years, and during that time, we will get to pour into their lives and really have an impact. Uh, and our prayer, of course, is that the Lord will use us uh, in a very significant way in their lives, so that they would come to know Him and certainly would follow Him in later life. And I just can't think of anything better to spend my life doing. It's very exciting. When do you start? Monday. We move. <laughs> yeah, we, we, yeah, not tomorrow, but the, a week from tomorrow. So we uh, move on Saturday. Uh, we'll be back here Easter, and then uh, we will start uh, first thing Monday morning. Okay. And will we see you again? 
or when will we see you again? <laughs> yeah, so we'll be back actually uh, probably more often than you think. The way that it works is we um, um, a shift is eight days, uh, so we will work eight days and then we will be off for four. Uh, and I suspect, especially early on, uh, there will be some adjustment time where we will kind of want to get away. So uh, we will definitely be back uh, fairly frequently uh, and you'll probably uh, not miss us much before you see us again. It's very exciting. Can you give us two or three prayer requests that we can be praying for this next week especially? Well, we do want to extend the opportunity for you guys to join us and partner us. April 30th, Boys and Girls Country, and if you want to look it up on the website, it's boysandgirlscountry.org. Uh, April 30th, we're having our spring festival. It's from 11 to 4, and it's a fundraising event. We sell tickets, and there's carnival games and bounce houses and food from barbecue to funnel cake. And But we encourage the community and um churches to come out and experience what Boys and, Girl, Boys and Girls Country is all about. Take a tour of the campus, really get to know and feel comfortable with what a good Christian organization that it is. Okay. So that is one so prayer we're praying for, for that. Yeah. yeah. Anything else? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, just in the short term, the logistics of moving and all that, we'll be packing this week and uh, movers are coming Saturday and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's there's a lot to be done uh, within the week. So you can pray that that would go smoothly and would not be a sp stressful time. Uh, beyond that, um, I think Cindy and I um, both are excited about the upcoming training because we'll have to do a significant amount of training before we're actually assigned uh, the boys. Uh, so pray that that would be fruitful and that we would learn our jobs well and that we would become skillful uh, at the things that they ask us to do. And then uh, I would say just as importantly, I pray for open hearts for both ourselves and for the boys. You know, we want to make it as much of a family as we possibly can. Uh, we want to love them well. Um, and I pray that um, connections are made that are long lasting um, and that come naturally and without too much pain in the process. <laughs> All right. Would you guys join me in praying uh, for Michael and Cindy? And, and I hope you will continue to pray for them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your calling on their lives to go to boys and girls country and uh, for this wonderful uh, challenge to love eight boys in their own home in a family setting. And we thank you, Lord, for another example of how you lavish grace, that you would lead people like Michael and Cindy uh, to these young men, these young boys. And so we pray for them as they do uh, head out this week. Pray that you'd help them just in the logistics of getting everything moved and moved in. Pray that you'd help them to uh, have good clarity of thought and wisdom in, in how they uh, pick and choose what they take. And we ask for great training and that you would give them open hearts toward the whole process, that you would make it fruitful, that you would allow them uh, to pick up all the skills that they need and that they'd be able to enrich it with all the experience and the, the wisdom and, and the knowledge that you have given them over the years. Pray that you would expand their hearts, that they would love these uh, children. Pray that you would give the children open hearts, that you would prepare them to uh, hear the gospel, to be discipled. And we give you thanks that they can come. And we do pray for this uh, festival at the end of the month, that that would be encouraging both to the uh, boys and girls country and, and to Michael and Cindy and to all the other uh, staff out there, and that it might uh, further facilitate the gospel going to these young men and women. We give you thanks that we can entrust them to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll stand together.